So this morning, um, I'd like to continue thinking about Bible study methodology and applying it to the study of the letter to Philemon. Uh, with the goal, ultimately, borrowing from Paul's prayer uh, for Philemon, that our fellowship and study together would be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in us for the sake of Christ. To achieve that goal, or at least move towards it, we need to understand the meaning of Philemon. And here I take meaning as defined as that which God intended by his word to a variety of audiences. The original audience and the modern audience. This definition of meaning would include application. But it's important to note the modern meaning and application is organically tied to the original meaning and application. So, example, uh, take the book of Exodus written by Moses for Moses' original audience with a specific intent and application for them. But it is maintained what I'll call a modern meaning, meaning for future readers. But it's all tied again to the original meaning. So let's look at uh, an example of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read uh, verses 1 to 11. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so I take um, that in the sense of what Paul wrote to Philemon. He wrote his friend with specific intent and meaning for Philemon. But we can also understand and apply his letter to our modern times. But we can't change the meaning to us 
or understand the meaning to us apart from the meaning of the letter to Philemon. So our goal is to understand what Paul is writing to Philemon, the application for Philemon, and then by extension, uh, the teaching and application for us. Just as an aside, um, what really started for me as an exercise in biblical study methods applied to Philemon, I've just really <laughs> developed a deeper appreciation for this small letter. It is very rich and deep uh, with uh, teaching applicable for today and for me. So, uh, just to review, if you haven't been in here, uh, the study method we're applying uh, basically starts with just reading the letter. Or if you're in a, in a book, um, uh, another letter of Paul's, you read it. If you're in a gospel, read the whole gospel. If you're in the Old Testament, read the whole book you're in several times, noticing key words and themes and uh, the flow of things, and then trying to take from that just reading um, what, what's standing out as the key ideas, trying to condense those ideas into uh, a short uh, outline. Uh, and then you want to begin to expand that outline, uh, uh, kind of filling in the gaps, and then ultimately getting the scalpel and the microscope out and looking at uh, key words and uh, sentences. And, and here it's helpful to get um, the aid of commentaries and, and, uh, and scholars so you really get the breadth and the depth uh, of the riches uh, that are found in the Word. So we've been through several of these steps, um, and we're really now to the point where we're taking the scalpel and trying to dissect and look really deeply and closely into different parts of the letter. But let's start with reading the letter again. So if I could get some uh, volunteers, if someone would read for us um, verses 1 to 7, and then someone else read 8 to 16, and then someone else read verses 17 to the end of the letter. So if someone would step up for verses 1 to 7, let's read those. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Ephia, our sister, to Archippus, our, older, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Okay, uh, someone else, 8 to 16. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do uh, that which is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, 
I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. And I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that in your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, that your goodness should not be, as it were, by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason pardoned from you for a while, and you should have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Okay, and then someone else from verse 17 to the end. So if you consider me your partner, will save him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I call write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Consider uh, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a gift ring for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. A Epaphras, my fellow Christian in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so did Mark, Aristarchus, Venus, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let's pray and ask God for a uh, study this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, Sunday morning when we may come and gather and study your word. But we pray for uh, the ministry of the Spirit of God to give us illumination, uh, to teach us what we must know and also to work inwardly in our heart the desire uh, to keep the word, uh, to apply it uh, in our daily lives. Bless us to that end that we might grow in our faith and in the full knowledge of all that we share in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, so again, kind of a short review. Um, for me, I, in, in developing a short condensed outline, uh, I've segregated the, the main points as, uh, first, the discussion of Philemon's love for the saints, uh, second, Philemon loses a slave, and then third, Philemon regains a brother. Uh, there are other ways to describe the letter or outline it, that's just, that works for me. Uh, but let's stop for a minute and think about um, the melodic theme of Philemon. Um, when we talk about melodic themes, um, we're, we're borrowing a music term. Uh, so, uh, Beth, in a, in a piece of music, there might be a re repeating... Uh, chorus or 
uh, a line of notes that the whole piece is built around, right? Uh, it helps to make it memorable uh, and distinctive. When I was thinking about this, um, here's what um, came to mind. Uh, I think I've got this a little bit right. Right, so there's, you can pick out from a lot of things, okay? So there may be other examples, better ones, but when I was thinking of <laughs> something really distinctive, it was the Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. So if we take that sort of uh, melodic theme, in, in the reading of volume, what would you think would be the melodic theme? The theme that sort of weaves through the whole letter. I think it's probably, for me, at least fellowship. Okay. Or commonality, communion, maybe, in, in the broader sense. Okay, good. And uh, you might back it up with all these words of family and fellowship. Uh, beloved brother, uh, sister, my child, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, right? So uh, I think it's a, a good one. Anyone else? Something? Sick out as maybe the recurring melodic theme or main theme. There's some um, heart, love, comfort, all that is associated with it. Right. He talks about the hearts of the saints being comforted. He talks about how um, it would uh, comfort his heart mm -hmm. for him to send a message back. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, might join those two things together: uh, fellowship, commonality, uh, family, um, and the heart or love. Christian love. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I came out with. Um, it's uh, the tie that binds us together as the family of God. And how we express love within the family. Uh, so I essentially took those two points from uh, Ronnie and, and Bonnie as the melodic theme. <clears throat> well, let me ask you another question as we kind of think about the main teaching or, or purpose of Philemon. Um, <coughs> It's an interesting question to me, why God preserved this letter? And he allowed other letters to vanish into history. Other letters by Paul, okay? So historically what's going on here is uh, Paul's in prison, and he's, he's sending what are typically called his prison letters. 
um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and this letter. So Onesimus uh, and his companions are sent to the church in Colossae with Paul's letter to the Colossians and this personal letter for Philemon. And we know from the letter in Colossians that Paul sent a letter to the church in Laodicea. And the two churches were to exchange those letters. We don't have Paul's letter to the Laodiceans. We have this little personal letter. Let me show you that in Colossians. It's in the very end of Colossians. Um, yeah, in 16, uh, give my greetings to uh, the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, this is, means this letter, the letter to the Colossians, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter that comes to you from Laodicea. And so I think it's interesting, why, why did God allow this letter from Paul to Laodicea to just sort of, so far as we know, archaeology has never found a copy of it. But we have this little letter to Philemon. Now why do you think that's the case? Well, look in Revelation. The church at Laodicea was the only church there. <laughs> right. Well, so it may have had some really helpful uh, doctrinal uh, words for the church in Laodicea. It would certainly be interesting, I would think, for the church to understand what Paul said to the church in Laodicea, and yet they ultimately had nothing. In this regard, yeah, commend them for. Any other thoughts about why this book, this letter is included and this other letter is not? I think that it's kind of hard for me to put it into words because there's a whole other section of this book that you're not, we don't truly understand which was the heart of the people who lived under slavery mm -hmm. and what the rules were. Right. And the severity of the rules. And they've been taught generationally that this is this is ironclad, this is the way it works. If you're slavery, there are certain rules and regulations. And basically, you could have been put to death, is my I think. Mm -hmm. When you're a slave, your life is forfeit, basically. So to me, it may have been the reason was is because society says this is what you should do, but Paul constantly said he's new, he's different. What you've been taught, I'm telling you, it's a new day. Good point. Good point. I don't know. 
No, I mean, I think you're getting to at least kind of where I was going. Is that I think we'd have to say God preserved his word as he determined to do that. And we had sufficient doctrinal teaching in uh, what he's preserved for us. And for him to preserve a letter that's more about relationships, I think is saying we need <laughs> we need some inspired writing about relationships in the church and how we deal with one another and how we think about others. Uh, Particularly when they challenge the established and ingrained world view. Right. World view. Yeah, good point. Kurt was saying about, you know, the whole idea of slavery. You know, the world sees it and always has seen it as in a certain vein. But if Christ didn't have them, he turned everything upside down. He did, you know? yeah. And so the way of those who he sent out, <laughs> they turned the world exactly. upside down. Literally. So, yeah. I mean, you know, the way we look at things like that, if, if we're in Christ, we're a new creature. Mm -hmm. The old is past, the new is coming. We have to look at things, everything, in a new way. Right. And so in Christ, there's neither... Slave nor free, you know, yeah, master, yeah. Center, male, female, those type of things. And here we see it really working out yeah. in uh, the life of uh, the, the people we meet in this letter. I think that's exactly right. And it does reinforce this melodic theme that's all about relationships within the church, um, ex the expression of love within the church. Uh, the equality of believers in the church. Uh, so I think that's, uh, yeah, Sam? Well, weren't they called to labor? I mean, so, I mean, there's the place where Paul was talking about if we're, we're free, we're his servants, we're, you know, we're slaves mm -hmm. to Christ. And if we're slaves, we're free. We're free. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it comes down to uh, we're all to labor in the Lord. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Good thoughts. Okay, so that's sort of, a, again, an overview of the big main themes of the, of the letter, because when we take out the scalpel and the microscope, we still want to stay within the bounds of the main themes. We just want to get a deeper appreciation for what's going on. So let's take up the scalpel and the microscope, and we'll begin dissecting again. Uh, first, let's start with verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Well, let's think about this opening theme. Paul follows the general letter-writing style of his day. It opens with the salutation formula, X to Y, uh, adding some sort of uh, greeting. Uh, for Paul, it's always typically grace and peace with a word of thanksgiving and prayer. And it, he usually adds some self-designation in these opening verses. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. A few, Romans 1. So again, Paul typically has uh, an opening uh, 
with a self-designation, a word of grace and peace, and then an expression of thanksgiving. And we see that in the letter to Philemon. We also see it in his other letters. Uh, so Romans, uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, I'll skip over. So that's Paul, his self-designation, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle. Verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those familiar words. And then he goes in following that his thanksgiving. I thank God through Christ Jesus for all of you. Okay. So now go to 1 Corinthians and note again the um, we have in Romans Paul a servant of Christ Jesus in 1 Corinthians again the familiar uh, formula Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Okay, verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse four, I give thanks. So that's his normal progression. Again, note the self-designation. Romans, he was emphasizing his status as a servant. Here in Corinth, he's um, uh, emphasizing his uh, calling as an apostle. Okay. Uh, look at, at Galatians chapter one. Uh, again, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. To the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, notice there is no thanksgiving here. Uh, he launches into, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So if you compare just those three, you can go through the rest of the letters of Paul, they all have uh, a similar uh, introductory formula. What I want to focus on is this self-designation. So you compare that with Philemon. Again, what's this self-designation in Philemon? A prisoner. I think I'm right. That's the only letter of Paul where he designates himself as a prisoner. In every other letter, uh, it's either, uh, well, we see the one servant. I think he repeats that. Uh, very often, or most typically, it's Paul an apostle. Okay. Why would he change these up like that? Just to kind of be creative and not well, be. In, in Philemon, he's a prisoner. I mean, which is kind of on a par with a slave. It's Excellent. Kind of self-identifying with? with the. Person in question. Yeah, with uh, his 
not just audience, but um, you know, just with the people that that he is talking to or about. Right. He's kind right. of putting himself on their level. Yeah, and I think he's setting up. I, I think he does this purposefully. When he says Paul, an apostle by the will of God, to Galatian, because he is going to bring his full apostolic authority down upon them. It establishes his authority. Yeah, because he they've got some serious doctrinal problems, and he's going to deal with those. Right. Uh, same thing in Corinth. You know, they kind of were they, they weren't so sure Paul was this. <laughs> he wasn't a super apostle, right? Well, he's going to reestablish his authority uh, in his introduction. In Philemon, he's, that is not his goal, is to uh, set up the rest of the letter based on his apostolic glory. In fact, he says, I could, I could really ask you to do this as an, as an apostle, but I don't want to. And the prelude to that is, I, Paul, a prisoner. And he's creating, I think, a uh, empathy and sympathy and, and connection with Onesimus, right? Uh, who is a slave. Uh, I, I think that's part of what he's doing. Um, he sees himself as a slave of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the difficulties is I'm reading that Philemon's personality was needing a breakdown. Because to me, when you read it, Paul just keeps hitting on point, point, point. He knows Philemon personally. Yes. We don't. We don't know his personality. We don't know how he... Apparently, he's a man of means. He probably has a business. He probably has employees. He has a household, a family. The other part we don't know is... Onesimus may have done something that was like unexcusable. Right. I mean, to the point of Philemon was done. Yeah. In the Roman uh, times, a slave was like property to the masters. But he's done something for. Something has happened. Yes. Point of point of point of point. Right. To me. To set up. The ultimate request uh, receive him back. Uh, yeah, so that's that's a good point. Um, so Paul, I think, is is uh, using his designation as a prisoner to further the heart of the letter, to move Philemon's heart, and to incline him to willingly forgive Onesimus. And accept him as a brother and even be willing to send him back to Paul. Here's a quote from J.B. Lightfoot from 100 years ago. He says, the authoritative title of apostle is dropped because throughout this letter, Paul desires to entreat rather than command. In place of apostle is substituted a designation which would touch his friend's heart. How could Philemon resist an appeal which which was pinned within prison walls by a manacled hand. Okay, so let's move down and take the scalpel and microscope to Philemon's love for the saints. 
In verse 4, Paul commends Philemon for love, and uh, particularly as he shows it to the saints. Well, what kind of love does Paul mean? <laughs> it made me think of, I saw this uh, documentary on Diana, Prince, Princess Diana, and uh, when uh, she and Prince Charles announced their engagement, uh, one of the reporters said something to the effect of, so you're in love. And Diana said, of course. <laughs> and Charles famously said, whatever in love means. <laughs> uh, so, Word of the wise, the husband took you with your wives in a public place and they say, somebody says, are you in love? You say, of course. <laughs> Not whatever in love means. Well, poor <laughs> choice of words, but it probably betrayed uh, Prince Charles' heart uh, because I don't think Diana was not <laughs> who he was in love with. Well, what love are we talking about here? You know, in the Greek, there are three words that can be translated by the word English word love. Uh, one word relates more to physical love, one to brotherly love, and then one to that deep, divine, uh, self-sacrificing love. So which do you think, if you had to guess, is what Paul is saying here about Philemon's type of love? That, yeah, that agape love for the saints. Um, so note the distinctives, uh, the distinctive attributes of this type of love found in the letter. Uh, first note that it is inextricably tied to Philemon's faith in Jesus Christ, verse 5, because Paul commends the love that he has toward the saints and the faith that he has in Jesus Christ. That type of divine, self-sacrificing love uh, is only a, a reflection of uh, the new creation, uh, that because uh, Christ has loved us, uh, made us new, sent his spirit to indwell us. That's the only reason we're capable of uh, imitating in any sense uh, divine love like that. It must be inextricably linked to faith. Um, okay, um, so that's sort of looking at the distinctive from verse five. Um, verse seven, what are the results of this type of love? Let me see. It's inspirational. Uh, what, do you, what do you say, Tom? It's inspirational. Inspirational? Okay. It's okay, yeah. Uh, from the words of the, of the verse 7. What result from this type of expression of love? Joy, joy, consolation, comfort. One other word. Refreshed. Peace and refreshment. Okay. Well, let's look at those words. <clears throat> joy. 
Uh, we find this word in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So Philemon's love for the saints was such that he brought joy into their hearts, whatever their circumstances might have been. The lesson for us, our love ought to have that effect on others in differing degrees, but there nevertheless. And we should thank God for those special people in our lives that bring that kind of joy to us and make our hearts merry whenever we're with them. I trust you can think even right now of those certain people that just bring great joy to, to be with. Uh, note, uh, Paul has this joy he expresses, but it's not in what necessarily Philemon has done for him. It's what he's done for who? Others, right? Um, we get this because we've gotten our scalpel out and we've noticed the word because. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because, the cause, you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It's a rare person who rejoices in the blessings received by others. But we rejoice like that, don't we? When we see pictures of the church building being built by Yupoki in uh, the Congo for the believing pygmies. Uh, that brings us joy. Uh, consider the word comfort or encouragement. Uh, the Greek word here is paraklesis. From this word we get paraclete or comforter for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the word means to come alongside and to help. Uh, you can read John 14, uh, verses 15 to 16, and also chapter 15, where Jesus talks about he'll send another a helper, one to come alongside, uh, the paraclete. And that's this word here. God indeed is the supreme comforter, uh, but he also comforts indirectly through the ministry of people. Okay? Philemon apparently comforted other believers. That's an expression of what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our affliction? God is the supreme direct comforter. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Have a ministry of comfort. Your particular circumstances and trials and hardships that you've walked through uh, will qualify you 
to be a comforter to others uh, in whatever circumstances they find themselves in. Because you can say, I've been there. I've been tested in the fire, and God has been my comfort, and the people of God have comforted me. But let them comfort you as well. All right? Well, it's just the word the word comforter. Um, we think of uh, a blanket over us, but yet it's, it's strengthening. Uh, it encourages us to carry on, and it gives us the strength to go through what we're going through. And he's a, a man of sorrows and finding with our grief. So, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, comfort really has the idea of strengthening. That's the original uh, meaning of the word. Uh, from fortress emotional to strengthness. Yeah. Um, consider the word re refresh. It literally means to recline and rest, to repose. Uh, and that can apply to the soul as well as to the body. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He means their inward rest for the soul. <clears throat> I think Paul is thinking of inward rest as well in Philemon. How do we know that? Get your scalpels and microscope out again. <laughs> What if, what's refreshed? What does he say is refreshed? The heart. Okay. Uh, the ministry of Pauline must have been something indeed for the saints to gather there from Colossae and to be refreshed in their hearts. And he would also provide rest for their bodies because Paul says later, hey, prepare a guest room for me so I can come and be with you. Right? Um. Makes me think of Psalm 23. I often like to meditate on the first three verses and to really imagine that peace of being by the still waters. Yes. And yeah. the refreshment. Yeah. From from feeling that presence. Whatever whatever circumstances they can be. Yeah. yeah. First, I think of Bunyan and the Valley of Humiliation, which was a green, verdant valley. Because our Lord was there often. And it can be a green valley for us, too. Okay, well, um, let me kind of wrap up. <clears throat> the question is, how did Philemon refresh the hearts of the saints? Generically, we know from this letter that he used what God had blessed him with, offering his home for the church to meet in, offering rooms for guests. That's the very end. He prayed for others. That's verse 22b. Uh, we should emulate, of course, those things, seeking to bless others with what God has given us, to use it to refresh the saints and for praying for them. But let me ask you this. How specifically will Philemon give rest and refreshment to Onesimus? First what? Forgive him. 
and accept him as an equal in the faith. Think how that would have refreshed and blessed Onesimus. By welcoming him as a brother in the Lord and not as a slave in his own personal property, forgiving him and supporting his usefulness in the church. That says a lot about personal relationships in the body of Christ. Um, well, we're out of time. Next week, Lord willing, I'd like to look at Onesimus, Providence, New Beginnings, Mediation, and Wiping Away Old Deaths.